Let me read to you Psalm 23. The Lord is my shepherd, I shall not want. He makes me lie down in green pastures. He leads me beside still waters, he restores my soul. He leads me in paths of righteousness for his namesake. Even though I walk through the valley of the shadow of death, I will fear no evil. For you are with me, your rod and your staff, they comfort me. You prepare a table before me in the presence of my enemies. You anoint my head with oil, my cup overflows. Surely goodness and mercy shall follow me all the days of my life, and I shall dwell in the house of the Lord forever. Let's pray. Father, again, I thank you for your word. I thank you for the comfort that your word gives. Uh, this text today says that your rod and your staff, they comfort us. And sometimes it's hard for me to imagine how a rod and staff can bring comfort, but your word says that it does. I, I, my plan, my hope, but hopefully you are willing to concede with this, that in the weeks to come, we will have an opportunity to look at that rod and staff and how they bring comfort. But Father, today I want to focus on this text and the text in John and find out what this shepherd really is. So Father, I pray that although we are not worthy to hear your word, I'm not worthy to present your word, I pray that you would open, open my mouth to speak your words, open our ears to hear them, open our hearts to apply them. Father, so that we can leave here today not just with a better understanding of who you are and, and what you're doing, but with a better understanding of how much you love us, how much you care for us, and how much you have given for us. We pray these things in Jesus' name. Amen. So I would like you to open your Bibles. We'll spend most of our time in John chapter 10. I know it's not Psalm 23, but it's actually very close to Psalm 23. Last week, for sake of reminder, we spent a lot of time looking at the word Lord and who is this Lord and why is he worthy of being the one that's shepherding me. Um, don't know if I gave you any new insight onto who the Lord was or not. That was not my goal. My goal was to magnify God, help you remember how big he is and that he is very present in this text. Today we want to look at the, the word, actually two words, my and primarily shepherd, I found out that shepherd is not a noun. I always assumed it was a noun, but it is a verb. Um, in the Hebrew, the word here, shepherd, is verb. I'm not going to try and pronounce the Hebrew. I do not understand Hebrew. It's just what I found out. And the idea is that the Lord, the one we looked at last week, the creator, sustainer, provider, the magnificent one, the holy Lord, is actively shepherding me. So he's not passive, he's very active, he's engaged, he cares, and in time to come we're going to work our way through the rest of Psalm 23, and we will see what that looks like here in Psalm 23. The other word I want to bring to your attention this morning is the word my. The Lord is my shepherd, which implies that we are his sheep. What do we know about sheep? <laughs> they like to wander. They're not very bright. I, supposedly I cannot use the D-U-M-B word because my grandson thinks that is a bad word. So they're not very bright. I don't know if he'll be listening to this message or not, but sheep are not bright. 
and they're kind of S-T-U-P-I-D. We can't use that word either around him. That's a bad word. But according to this text, that's what God says we are. We are senseless, wandering sheep. I also found out that you cannot drive sheep like we would have a cattle drive. You cannot get alongside of them and behind them and make noise and push them because they will just walk right off a cliff. They don't have enough sense to stop because something's chasing them because they're very fearful creatures. You must lead them and they will not follow unless you are their shepherd. So I could go out there and call them all day long. They will not follow me. The shepherd, they will follow. They do not follow in a straight line. They kind of veer out a little bit. So the ones on the fringes usually fall off and get into trouble. The shepherd has to constantly be turning around and looking to make sure all the sheep are with him. So back to this text here, the Lord that we looked at last week, the sovereign God, the creator, is actively shepherding me. Therefore, what could I possibly want? Ken, you nailed it with a confession this morning through Ecclesiastes. We talked about that some last week as well. Solomon wanted everything. He had everything and found out it wasn't enough because the only thing that he really needed was God, was Christ in his heart, and he rejected that until later. This text is telling us that everything the shepherd is providing satisfies all my needs. Um, the next verse, he makes me lie down in green pastures. What do you think of when you hear that term, green pastures? Lush. What else? Comfortable. We're laying down in it, right? It's this, uh, the one speaker I saw on YouTube late last night, he said, put in your mind this idea of a million acres of three feet thick, three feet tall, thick alfalfa green, luscious alfalfa grass, and you're just laying in it, and you just roll over and eat all that you want. You have that idea? It's wrong. That is not what the text is talking about. That is contrary to scripture everywhere. But as Americans, that's what we tend to think about. We think of like stuck in the middle of Nebraska with all this grass. That is not the concept here. A shepherd is taking his sheep through one grassy patch at a time. And by grassy patch, it's like a couple tufts of grass. They're in the wilderness. Nothing but rocks, hills. There are no green pastures. So the shepherd's job is to know where these tufts of grass have sprouted up and lead his sheep there. And the sheep is happy to have a mouthful because he's not bright enough to think, I need to eat again tomorrow, or I'm going to be hungry in an hour. Oh, a tuft of grass. I'm happy and content. I have a mouthful of food. The shepherd calls them by name. They move on to the next tuft of grass. All day long, day after day, day after day, day after day. And the sheep, according to verse 1, is content. He doesn't want any more. What good is a year's supply when he only needs a mouthful? It got me to thinking, am I content with today's supply? How often are Christ's mercies new? 
every morning. Do we need enough mercy for next week today? No, we need enough mercy today to get through today. Tomorrow, there'll be no. It's unlimited. Don't worry about next week, tomorrow. If you remember last week, we looked at Moses. Moses led the children through the wilderness where there was no food for 40 years. And what did they eat? Manna, quail. That was supplied at the local convenience store. Where did it come from? Came down from heaven every morning. Was there enough for the week? It's enough for that day, except the day before the Sabbath. There would be two days. What happened on the day after you got that manna? What happened to the manna? Could, could you save it? It would be spoiled. They were required to trust God for the next day's supply. They didn't have a grocery store where you, you buy a week's worth of food at a time. Interesting, isn't it? How our Americanized perspective of Christianity has changed so much. The Lord is my shepherd. He's shepherding me actively. I shall not want. He is the one that makes me lie down in green pastures. He leads me beside still waters. I watched another video clip last night about the desert area. They don't have much water. It's like we walk out in the woods and you have to cross stream after stream after stream and there's water everywhere. They don't have that. Quite to the contrary. So what these shepherds have done, they have the, the valleys, the wadis, and occasionally north of them it will rain. When it rains up there, the water comes down and flows past them. So they have to pay attention to when it's raining up there so that they get their sheep to where the water will be. But when the water comes through, it's a, it's a torrent of water. It's not a quiet stream. So the shepherds ahead of time build stone dams to stop some of the water, to slow it down, so when they know it's raining there, they can take their time and get over to where they've already built a small dam to stop the water so the sheep can drink from the still waters. Unless you're a robber. If you're a robber, you find out where the shepherds have done this and you break down their little stone dams. So when the shepherd comes by, he now has to get his water for his sheep. He now goes into the torrent of water and tries to rebuild this dam so that his sheep can drink. Meanwhile, the robber is trying to take the sheep, trying to kill the shepherd because he's distracted. This text, the Lord, what does the Lord do? What did we find out last week? What did the Lord do? Pretty much everything, right? Does he create everything? Does he bring floods? Does he provide rain? Does he stop rain, cause droughts and famines? The Lord is actively shepherding me. What could I possibly want? He makes me lie down in green pastures that he has provided. He leads me beside the still waters that he has provided. He restores my soul. He leads me in the paths of righteousness. Why? His namesake, not for my namesake. There's no glory in being a sheep. None. What, what happens to sheep at the end? 
They're dead. They get slaughtered for food, possibly used for a sacrifice, get all their nice furry wool shaved off of them, and they look silly. Now, I want you to turn to John chapter 10. We're going to look at the noun shepherd in John chapter 10. Uh, hopefully, we work our way through the, the entire chapter. Truly, truly, I say to you, he who does not enter by the door into the fold of the sheep, but climbs up some other way, he is a thief and a robber. This is Jesus speaking. What are the first two words he says? Truly, truly, what does that mean? Take it to the bank. Exactly. There's another phrase that we see in Scripture all the time, which I just found out in Hebrew is the exact same word. Amen, amen. It's the exact same Hebrew word. When they use it at the beginning, it means truly, truly, everything I'm about to say you can take to the bank. This is gospel. When they say it at the end, it means the exact same thing. Everything I just said is truth. You can count on it. You can die on it. So here Jesus says it at the beginning, which is kind of ironic. Jesus, who came full of truth and grace, is saying, this is true. Everything I've been saying is true. This is really true, true. But he's telling them so that they're listening. Truly, truly, I say to you, he who does not enter by the door into the fold of the sheep but climbs up some other way is a thief and a robber. What is Jesus' perspective of people that try to climb over into the sheepfold? Are they good people? No. Who's in the sheepfold? Us D-U-M-B sheep, right? Just us sheep. Believers. We'll find out they're believers. Verse 2. But he who enters by the door is a shepherd of the sheep. Everybody tracking with me so far? There's a, a door, a gate, into where the sheep are. The shepherd blocks the door. When the shepherd is not there, for whatever reason, there is a gatekeeper. There's somebody that's hired to keep the gate shut. Okay? He is not the shepherd. The shepherd is the one who takes them out. Verse 3, to him, the doorkeeper, opens, and the sheep hear his voice, and he calls his own sheep by name and leads them out. What did the shepherd just do? Called them by name, which implies some kind of intimacy. He can tell them apart, even though we think they all look like the same fuzzy little woolly sheep. He knows them by their character, by their demeanor, by whatever physical attributes they may have. He is intimate. He knows them. He calls them by name. And how does he get them out? What is the end of verse 3? He leads them out. He calls them by name and leads them out. It has been brought to my attention that it is not uncommon for several sheep, or excuse me, several shepherds to share the same sheepfold. There's a lot of S's in that. Several shepherds could put their flocks in the same pen and then hire one gatekeeper to keep watch on them while they go and eat, sleep, whatever they need to do. When they come back, they go in, they simply call their sheep, and their sheep will come out and follow them. The others will stay put because they're a strange shepherd. Verse 4 again. 
when he puts forth all his own, he goes ahead of them, and the sheep follow him because they know his voice. So he takes them out of the sheep pen, out of the sheepfold, and then he goes looking for food, green pastures, and still waters. Tracking with me? What area does a shepherd typically take his sheep towards? Do we know a term that would describe that area? Is it the city? Is it the woods? Country, pastures, valleys, wilderness? Does he take an army with him? Does he take a gun? No. You know what they usually take? Sling, rod, staff. Sometimes a belt. They can carry a few things in their belt. They need to have their hands available so they can't carry a lot of things. They don't carry big bulky backpacks because they may have to carry sheep. So they don't carry a lot of food with them. They don't carry a Walkman to listen to. It's them and the sheep. The less they carry, the better. They go out in the wilderness, and what do we know lives in the wilderness? Predators. Lots and lots of predators. Whether they be natural, wolves, or man-made people, bad people, or just dangers with cliffs and rocks and who knows what. But this is where he chooses to take the sheep. They follow him because they know his voice. If I were one of those sheep, and if I were a little bright, I may be afraid. Because I know that that cousin sheep of mine wandered a little too far and the shepherd couldn't retrieve him. And he never came back. So I think I'd be a little timid to go out into that wilderness, even though I trust the shepherd. Because it is just the shepherd. It's not like he's got SEAL Team 6 with him, right? It's just the shepherd. And who knows what's out there? But these sheep willingly follow because the shepherd has earned their trust. Verse 5, a stranger they simply will not follow, but will flee from him because they do not know the voice of strangers. Brings me to my first question of the day. What voices are you listening to? Are you like Solomon, listening to all the voices of pleasure that Ken read about this morning? Or are we happy to listen to the voice of God? Fleeing. Isn't that what it says in verse 5? A stranger they simply will not follow, but will flee from him. Maybe the sheep are a little brighter than we are. They're smart enough to flee. This figure of speech, verse 6, Jesus spoke to them, but they did not understand what those things were which he had been saying to them. Interesting. Do you understand it so far? Pretty plain, and we don't really know that much about shepherds. These people saw shepherds every day. Verse 7, Jesus continues and basically says the same thing, but elaborates a little more. Truly, truly, I say to you, I am the door of the sheep. All who came before me are thieves and robbers, 
but the sheep did not hear them. Let's pause there for a little bit. What did Jesus just reveal about himself? He's the true shepherd. What else? He's the door, the only way in. He is the only one who lets you in. He is the protector. What about all that came previous to Jesus? All the false prophets, what were they? Counterfeits, thieves, robbers. They did not care about the sheep. Hmm. Interesting. Who do you think may be included in this group that Jesus is talking to? Pharisees who are teaching how many ways to get to heaven if you do your good works? Jesus just called them thieves and robbers. Interesting. Previous false messiahs. Yeah. Next question of the day. Are we actively in our lives exemplifying and teaching Jesus is the only way? Or are we more like Solomon, saying, no, these pleasures are good, because we know everything we do is teaching, right? We're teaching everybody that's watching us, this is the right way for Rusty to go. Everybody that sees me do something says, oh, that's the way Rusty thinks is the right way to go. So if the right way to go is Christ, then everything I should be doing should be leading me and others towards Christ. Obviously, we're human and we sin, so we get the distracted route, right? But our end goal should always be Christ. Are we actively teaching and telling people about Christ? Or are we being a false messiah? Verse 9 again. I am the door. If anyone enters through me, he will be saved, and he will go in and out and find pasture. So we know Jesus said he is the door. He is the protector. All the false prophets that came before him, thieves and robbers, including these Pharisees themselves and potentially us. But the sheep did not hear them. Jesus himself is the door. If anyone enters through him, he will be saved and will go in and out and find pasture. What does it mean to go in and out? Freedom. Freedom. Freedom which implies everything else is not freedom, bondage. Verse 10, the thief comes only to steal and kill and destroy. I came that they may have life. Is there anything else? And have it abundantly. You know, back to the image we typically have of the green pastures, that kind of sounds like abundant life, doesn't it? All the food we could possibly want, just roll over and eat some more. That sounds like an abundance. That is not what he's saying here. Psalm 23 and this text are telling us that what God will give us is all we need for an abundant life, not that we can be fed, fat, and happy, but that our satisfaction is within Christ himself not the events around us. 
Okay, verse 11. I am the good shepherd. The good shepherd lays down his life for the... Does that make sense? What do we know about sheep? B-U-M-B. What do we know about the shepherd? Is he D-U-M-B? No. According to Psalm 23, in the word we looked at last week, the Lord, he is the magnificent creator, sustainer, provider of all things all the time. And yet he is laying down his life for little woolly sheep. Crazy. And not only that, he says he is not just the shepherd, but what? Good shepherd. Jim, you led us in, in confession a couple weeks ago and talked about no one being good. And here Jesus is saying he is the good shepherd, the virtuous, perfect shepherd. He is the good shepherd. He lays down his life for the sheep. So now Jesus is going to clarify the difference between a good shepherd and a not good shepherd. Verse 12, he who is a hired hand and not a shepherd, who is not the owner of the sheep, Sees the, sees the wolf coming and leaves the sheep and flees, and the wolf snatches them and scatters them. Verse 13, he flees because he is a hired hand and is not concerned about the sheep. What is he concerned about? Himself, his life, taking care of Mr. Number One, right? Because after all, they're just sheep. Nobody cares about the sheep. They're just sheep. Does Jesus care? Hmm. Verse 14. I am the good shepherd, and I know my own, and my own know me. Language changes a little bit. Jesus is not calling us sheep here. What did he call us? His own. How do you take care of what's your own? A little more than a hard servant? Think of your own kids, your own grandkids. What will you do for them? Pretty much anything they need that needs done. Even dying for them. Verse 14 again, I am the good shepherd, and I know my own, and my own know me. Even as the Father knows me, and I know the Father, and I lay down my life for the sheep. How well does Jesus and the Father know each other? Extremely intimately. They're one. Jesus is saying his sheep know him and he knows them just like the Father knows Jesus. Next question of the day. What do you know about Jesus? What do I know about Jesus? Is he worthy? Are we intimate with Jesus? This text, he's laying out this incredible contrast 
And as we work through this, you're going to see Jesus just keeps ratcheting it up, ratcheting it up, pointing out more and more how he is supreme, and we're not. There's a problem. And I think it ties in directly with Psalm 23. Back to verse 14. I am the good shepherd, and I know my own, and my own know me, even as the Father knows me, and I know the Father, and I lay down my life for the sheep. Verse 16, I have other sheep. By the way, that's you. That's me. Other sheep he's referring to here are the Gentiles. I have other sheep which are not of this fold. I, what's the next word? Must. It's not a choice. He must. We were part of the plan from the beginning. I must bring them also, and they, what's it say? They shall hear my voice. They will hear my voice. There's no maybe. Hopefully, they will. Still part of the plan. They will hear my voice and will become one flock with one shepherd. For this reason, the Father loves me, because I lay down my life so that I may take it again. Why does God the Father love him? He's going to lay down his life. He's going to fulfill the plan. He's going to do everything in accordance with the plan. Verse 18, no one has taken it away from me, but I lay it down on my own initiative. I have authority to lay it down, and I have authority to take it up again. This commandment I received from my Father. Anyone pick up anything unusual in that verse? Completely in control. Yes. 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 Scratch your head a little more. <laughs> he is in complete authority because God has given him that authority in the command. You understand? That authority at this point has been given to him. Not as we see complete authority because we know that happens after the resurrection. But the authority here has been given to him within the command. Also, uh, let me start the verse again. No one has taken it away from me, but I lay it down on my own initiative. I have authority to lay it down, and I have authority to take it up again. This commandment I receive from my Father. Uh, did I miss the word I was looking for? I think I did. Let me go back. Uh, let me go back up to verse 17. For this reason the Father loves me, because I lay down my life, so that I may take it again. No one has taken it away from me, what tense is the word has? Everybody's afraid to say it. Is it past tense? Hmm, I got the head twist from Charles. What? Interesting, isn't it? Yeah, that one's rocking my world. I don't know what to do with that one yet. For no one has taken it from me, but I lay it down on my own initiative. So there's a little past, present, future, tense play on words going here. I, I don't know what to do with that. Just want to throw that out there at you. The rest of the sentence is present tense. Yeah. 
Again, this commandment I received from my Father. Okay, verse 19. For some reason, a division occurred among the Jews. <laughs> that cracks me up. Yeah, this huge division occurs among the Jews because of these words. Many of them were saying, he has a demon and is insane. Why do you listen to him? What did Jesus just say that would cause such a division? He has authority over life and death. I and the Father are one. This is blowing their minds, and it should. This does not make sense to them. So there's, some are saying he has a demon, some are saying he's insane. Verse 21, others were saying these are not the sayings of one demon-possessed. A demon cannot open the eyes of the blind, can he? Some were getting the idea that Jesus was on to something. May not have completely understood, but it was happening. They were getting it. Verse 22, <clears throat> at that time, the Feast of the dedica Dedication took place at Jerusalem. It was winter, and Jesus was walking in the temple in a portico of Solomon. The Jews were gathered together around him and were saying to him, how long will you keep us in suspense? If you are the Christ, tell us plainly. Hasn't he been doing that? So why did they not understand? They're not of the flock. They're not of the flock. They're listening to the wrong shepherd. Next question of the day. What shepherd are you listening to? Tying back in with Ecclesiastes, the shepherd of pleasure? Or the good shepherd? Verse 25, Jesus answered them, I told you and you do not believe. The works that I do in my Father's name, these testify of me. But you do not believe because... You are, not of my, you are not of my sheep. My sheep hear my voice, and I know them, and they follow me. The next verse should rock you out of your seat. And I give them, and I give eternal life to them, and they will never perish, and no one will snatch them out of my hand. What did he just say about his role as a shepherd? No one can ever overtake him. What else? He gives eternal life. It's forever. It's not like he's the great shepherd and then he's going to die and you don't know what's going to happen after that. He's eternal. He gives these sheep eternal life. So even if you could get to one of the sheep, could you kill them? No. They have eternal life. Hmm. Are we his sheep? How do we know if we're his sheep? If we hear his voice. Next question of the day, kind of repeat question, are you hearing his voice? When we're reading through this text, are you hearing his voice? Is he speaking to you? Is he speaking to me? Or is it just words? 
<clears throat> first, back up to verse 26. But you do not believe because you are not my sheep. My sheep hear my voice, and I know them, and they follow me. <clears throat> and, I give them and I give eternal life to them, and they will never perish, and no one will snatch them out of my hand. My Father who has given them to me is greater than all, and no one <clears throat> and no one is able to snatch them out of the Father's hand. I and the Father are one. What did we find out? Where did these sheep come from? The Father. The Father gives them to Jesus. Can anybody snatch them out of the Father's hand? No. We looked at the Lord last week and how great and awesome the Lord is, right? He's had these sheep, and now he's giving them to Jesus. Makes sense? Does anybody see a timeline situation here? Are any of you the sheep? We hope so, right? Let's assume we all are part of the sheep. All in the sheepfold. God had you before he gave them, before he gave us to Jesus. You got that? So you were part of God's flock before he gave you to Jesus. See a timeline issue? Were we in Jesus' flock back then? Yeah, even though we weren't born. Were we in God's flock before Jesus walked on the earth? Yeah. Kind of ties in with Ephesians. Predestined, predetermined, God's foreknowledge. All part of the plan. And then Jesus makes this radical statement. Well, let, me, let me tie a couple together. The one with the authority that he has here back in verse 18. It's going to make us scratch our heads for a while. So all this authority has been given to Jesus with these sheep because of the commandment he received from his father. Does that mean Jesus is pretty awesome? Pretty incredible? Can anybody take the sheep out of Jesus' hands? No. Not even come close. Don't even think about it. It can't happen. Verse 29, my father who has given them to me, what's the next line? Is greater. He's greater than all. You think you stand a chance of snatching him out of my hand? You kidding me? They're in God's hands, too. Nothing comes out of God's hand. Nothing. My Father who has given them to me, he is greater than all, and no one is able to snatch them out of the Father's hand. Verse 30, I and the Father are one. Jesus just said he is God. As plainly as he possibly could to these people. Let me take you back in your minds to Psalm chapter 23, verse 1. The Lord 
that we looked at, the Lord God, the creator, the provider, the sustainer, the magnificent one, the one whose name was so holy they wouldn't even say his name, is my shepherd. So is that Jesus or God the Father? Now when we looked at it, we were looking at all the Old Testament that David would have known from history, his own genealogy with his grandparents or great-grandparents with Boaz and Ruth. And we went all the way back, all the way into uh, Adam with creation. We talked about the Lord God as Jehovah, God the Father, was the context of all those verses we looked at. Right here, Jesus is saying something different. He just said he is the shepherd back in Psalm 23. He's one with the Father. There is no real distinction. So back in Psalm 23, we could say Jesus is actively shepherding me. What could I possibly ever want more than that? I mean, isn't that heaven? John Piper is quoted as saying, the, the essence of heaven is the presence of Christ. Isn't that what Psalm 23 is saying? Jesus Christ is shepherding me. I cannot possibly want anything. Therefore, if we are wanting what does that mean? We have wandered away from the shepherd or he's not our shepherd at all. Could be either. We're going to go with we've wandered away. It's a lot more comfortable. Hmm. Verse 31. The Jews picked up stones again to stone him. I wonder why. Think Jesus really hit a sore spot there? Hopefully he's hitting a sore spot in our hearts as well. Jesus picked up stones again to stone him. Or, excuse me, Jesus picked up, yeah. Ooh. The Jews picked up stones again to stone him. Jesus answered them, I showed you many good works from the Father. <laughs> For which of them are you stoning me? You think Jesus knew why they were going to stone him? Absolutely. He wants them to say it. He wants to hear it out of their mouths. The Jews answered him, For a good work we do not stone you, but for blasphemy, and because you, being a man, make yourself out to be God. Wow. Could not accept that he was God. I wonder if like, their hearts were blocked, hardened by a God who hardens hearts and softens hearts. They did understand what he was saying. Verse 34, Jesus answered them, Has it not been written in your law? I said, You are gods. He called them gods to whom the word of God came, and the scripture cannot be broken. Do you say of him whom the Father sanctified and sent into the world, You are blaspheming because I said, I am the Son of God? If I do not do the works of my Father, do not believe me. 
But if I do them, though you do not believe me, believe the works, so that you may know and understand that the Father is in me and I in the Father. So Jesus is expanding on this concept of him and the Father being one. He is doing the works of the Father, not his own works. Right? Again, attacking their hearts. Verse 39. Therefore, they were seizing again, or excuse me, they were seeking again to seize him. But what did he do? He eluded their grasp. How? He's God. Sunday school answer, right? He's God. Time had not yet come. We see he's done this multiple times. Walks through the midst of them and they're ready to stone him. Well, I'm going to leave now. And he just walks out and nothing happens. I'm reminded of a story of Elisha. Elisha was a prophet. Nobody liked Elisha because he spoke the words of God. Elisha had a servant, and they were hiding in a little town because everybody was after him. And the servant opened the door, and he looked out, and he saw the king had his chariots surrounding the town. They were coming to get him. And his servant was hysterical. And Elisha's like, why are you hysterical? It's just an army. No big deal, right? All they want to do is kill us. Do you remember what happened? Elisha prayed that his servant's eyes would be opened and he saw God's army of flaming chariots protecting him. Elisha knew it. The servant didn't. I wonder if any of those chariots were there. Don't know. It's just that story comes to my mind. Every time I read through this, I'm like, I wonder. I wonder if they were just there pushing the crowd back, personal bodyguards. Okay, Jesus, just walk out. Of course, Jesus was God. He could have done anything. He could have gone invisible. He could have just put up his own protective barrier. I don't know. But he walked out. My point is this. Psalm 23. Even though I walk through the valley of the shadow of death, I will fear no evil, for you are with me. Your rod and your staff, they comfort me. You prepare a table before me in the presence of my enemies. Was Jesus in the presence of his enemies? <laughs> Was he walking in the valley of the shadow of death when they're ready to literally stone him? Do we see any fear? None. What brought comfort at this time when Jesus is walking out? What had Jesus just said? What was it that Jesus had just said? He's God. Had he said that before? Yeah. Was it true? Was it gracious? He could have killed him on the spot, couldn't he? Psalm 23, and we're going to close with this thought. It says, even though I walk through the valley of the shadow of death, I will fear no evil, for you are with me, and your rod 
and your staff. They comfort me. I want to plant a seed in your minds on this rod and staff. Hopefully in whatever weeks, months to come, we will be able to get back into this text and jump into this rod and staff. I have watched, I don't know how many videos and listened to sermons about the rod, carry a big rod with a hook on it, and sometimes they have a smaller rod, a, a staff that they would call that's like on their belt that they could use if an animal or predator or whatever gets in close, kind of like a rifle and a handgun. The rod is for some, keeping something far away. If it gets in too close, they pull out the small one, almost like a policeman's billy club, which I don't think they're allowed to use anymore. We'll leave that one go. But that concept, I don't think that's what they're talking about here at all. See, we need to remember Psalm 23 is a poem. There's a lot of imagery. So David is going to say a lot of things in the Psalms to put a picture in your mind so that you think of what he's trying to communicate. It's not necessarily focusing in on this specific rod and staff. That being said, jumping into John 10, didn't Jesus speak truth and grace? They're about to kill him, and what brought comfort to Jesus was speaking truth and grace. Does that sound familiar? Where do we hear that before? Book of John? Way back in the beginning of Book of John? Chapter 1? Jesus came full of? Grace and truth? I see a connection to this rod and staff being grace and truth. You're going through a tough time. We all are, some more so than others. Where's the comfort? Is it in a rod? Pushing away the enemies? Picking up a sheep that's fallen over a little cliff? Or is it in truth and grace? So I asked a lot of questions today. Are you one of the sheep? Are you listening to the shepherd? Is his truth and grace bringing you comfort? Or are they just words? See, the text is telling us that the sheep hear his voice. And not only do they hear the voice, because we know that these religious leaders, these people that were listening, were hearing what Jesus was saying. They heard it so well, they knew that he was claiming to be God. They were ready to kill him. They heard him, but they weren't listening. They didn't know him. They weren't intimate. Last week, the question I had for the message was, who is this Lord? Is he worthy of shepherding me? Same question follows through. Who is this Lord? Is he worthy of shepherding me because I'm one of his sheep? Or am I not one of his sheep? Are we listening? Are we hearing? Father, I thank you for this text today. Father, I, it's comforting and it's frightening at the same time. On one hand, if we are of your sheepfold, if we are one of your sheep, if you have called us by name, you will provide, you will comfort, you will care for. Nothing can ever snatch us out of your hand or take you by surprise. You are the God who has orchestrated. You are the God who has set up the situation. You have prepared it way in advance. 
you love us and you care for us. And you want us to be with you and enjoy you forever. On the other hand, Father, we know we can hear the words. We can understand the words. We can know what you're talking about. We can recite the words. We can share the words. We can live as if we may be sheep. But Father, when the time comes and you call us by name, and you call by name, some will follow and some will stay behind. And Father, I think of the end time of our life on this earth. We will stand before you, and some you will say, we will hear the words, well done, good and faithful servant. To some we will hear the words, depart from me, I never knew you. I never called you by name. Father, that is staggering and that is frightening. I pray that you would work in our hearts, work in our ears, so that we can hear you call us by name, so that we respond in love, so that we can lead others to you and make your name great, because you are the only God that is worthy of anything. We see that through Ecclesiastes with Solomon. We saw it with Moses turning his back on the riches of, of, of Egypt, because you are more worthy than all. Father, I pray that you would work in our hearts, convict us, change us, lead us to repent. We pray these things in Jesus' name. Amen. Let's stand.